All right. Welcome, everyone, to episode eight, I believe, although um, it's been a bit disjointed lately, of the call-in edition of Blue Jays Happy Hour. Stoughton, we had quite a streak going of um, Blue Jays games that we were going live after that were grim, close losses where they didn't score any runs. I don't think that's because of anything special to do with us. I think that that is because that was pretty much every Blue Jays game uh, for quite some time there. But this one is different. For the first time since uh, May 7th, the Blue Jays have scored eight or more runs. The last time that happened, they were 17 and 11 balls club. It's a little bit different now, but it seems like perhaps tonight the dam has broken. That would be real nice, wouldn't it? It, uh, I mean, you know, you can't put too much into one game, but it felt really good to watch, you know, Danny Jansen clobbering some home runs and then Vlad actually hit, put a ball in the air and, and, you know, over the wall. And uh, were there, were there hits with runners in scoring position? I saw at one point that they hadn't had one uh, despite the runs, but uh, that matters not. Uh, what matters, I think, is that <laughs> they were two for fourteen with runners in scoring yeah. position tonight. Uh, don't necessarily need to touch on that component of it, but that is pretty funny. <laughs> I think we've talked about that enough uh, over the weeks, but yeah, no, uh, real good. Kevin Gosman, real good. Not having to, you know, sweat it out through uh, Jimmy Garcia and and, uh, and Jordan Romano and whoever else, David Phelps, Ryan Baraki, t- a couple of names that for some reason come to mind after. Uh, some some game I feel I saw uh, the Blue Jays play against the Cardinals, but uh, we don't need to talk about that one either. No, absolutely not. No, I think I think this one has to start with Danny Jansen, right? And he had been so strong at the end of 2021, and then he exploded out of the gate immediately this season. And, you know, he got injured right away. And we were still looking at a very small sample. And to be honest, we still are looking at a very small sample if we're trying to be excited about Danny Jansen. But it was easy to forget after he came back from the IL and didn't really do anything special that he was in the middle of this big run. And when guys get injured, you know, their momentum is halted and there's no guarantee they're going to continue. But he keeps putting together again, you know, we're talking about September last year and we're talking about now 11 games in 2022. So we have to be careful. But at the same time, we're talking about various different time periods and he keeps showing up and hitting extremely well. And suddenly the catching situation is a lot more interesting than it looked coming to the season. And it looked interesting coming into the season. Yeah, it it very much did. I mean, I still, you know, I still could use a little more firepower on the bench than Tapia and and Zimmer. Those guys are, are bothering me. We're not going to talk about that kind of stuff right now, though. Uh, yeah, no, it, it's been great. It's been great to see Danny Jansen, you know, become the bat first kind of guy. I mean, it's still such a limited number of games, but that's who he was as a prospect, right? It was like, oh, well, we'll see how his defense is, but this bat's going to carry him. And then it was just, just like immediately the complete opposite as soon as he hit the major leagues, which is, um, Odd, uh, though maybe not. Maybe it shouldn't have been as odd. I mean, the catching position is obviously really difficult, and there's a lot to the job. It's you know you're not just standing on first base. No offense to, to Vlad or first baseman, but there there are there there are many things that a catcher has to do and be aware of and, and be on top of and uh, you know guys to work with and all that sort of stuff. So you can understand why it might take away from your uh, uh, you know your your ability at the plate if your focus is not necessarily. Uh, as on hitting as it could be the way that it maybe is in the minors when maybe the bench is calling, you know, calling games more and maybe, uh, 
you know, you're just you don't have to have the same develop the same rapport with some, with some guys because your teammates are more fluid. Uh, and so, yeah, no, it's it's been great, and it's 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 I think dangerous to get too over over excited, overly excited about what Jansen has done. Uh, these last like whatever like 15 games is really all that it is, but also. Hell yeah, it's uh, it's it's very very interesting, and and you know they got a guy there who uh, you feel pretty good about having you know behind the plate every night, and and even though they have one who, in AAA who we're all ready for, and also Alejandro Kirk is is a really you know has made huge strides defensively as well, and and can still you know wield the bat quite nicely. Yeah, I mean, you know, Kirk's starting to get those extra base hits, right? And he was already getting on base at a good clip. And, you know, we, he had his pretty funny run of infield singles. He's not relying on that anymore. Jansen is interesting because you mentioned, like, he came up as this bat first catcher. That's what we knew him as. We, you know, we questioned his defense, to be honest, when he's yeah. raising to the major league level. We were wondering, like, is he going to be good enough defensively to hold up as a starter? Uh, you know, he ended up as a gold glove finalist. People aren't worried about that anymore. But the, it's the flavor that's different, right? Like when we, when Jansen was coming up, we thought he was this good discipline, spray line drives, put the ball in play. Yeah, but more of a high on base guy. And he's turned into, or again, turned into might be too aggressive. But what we've seen recently is a guy who turns on the ball consistently and drives it with power, which, you know, in his first few years in the league, like 2018, 2019, 2020, you know, a lot of 2021 as well, he really did not hit the ball with authority. Like we used to see him have these plate appearances where he had a great idea at the plate and he would work the count and he would get himself into the right situations and then he would get pitches to hit and he wasn't able to make pitchers pay for the fact that he had the upper hand. Like he would get to a three run count and then he would sort of softly ground out to third base or whatever, kind of what Vladdy has done for much of this month, to be honest. Um, we, we saw a lot of that. And so it is, it is interesting to see him not only kind of excel offensively, because that's something we thought might happen, but do it in a way that was, is quite different to our expectations of him entering the league and what we saw for the vast majority of his you know, still young MOB career. Yeah, Jose Bautista like really just uh, pulling <laughs> pull those balls, putting putting them in the seats. Um, that also might be a bit aggressive, but yeah, absolutely. No, it's uh, it, it's been it's been fun to watch, and you would just you would I mean it can't it can't possibly continue, you know, at a home run every every couple of games kind of a clip, but uh, uh, very willing to watch it do exactly that for as long as it does, right? Like yeah, it's. Uh, uh, it's something else that, you know, we joked, I think the last time they had a bit of an offensive uh, spark was the game that he came back and he, you know, he, he hit a home run in that one as well. And, and I was joking about him as like their sort of offensive talisman. No, nobody needs Dante Bichette. We got uh, Danny Jansen in it. Uh, here we go again with him sort of leading the way. This is this is Danny Jansen's team. I saw the tweets. Um <laughs> You know, poor guy had to talk to a rash there at the end, but uh, uh, but you know what? I'm sure he'll take that too. Keep keep having to do it. Uh, it means you had a good game, so it's it's just it's nice. It feels good and nice to uh, to be talking about a win and to be talking about Jansen in this way because yeah, he was a guy who was, was easy to pull pull for, and who um, you know just like you said had had. Literally, like, what did he, did he come up in twenty eight end of twenty eighteen? I think was uh, yeah. you know, a month with Russell Martin, and uh, uh, yeah, just hasn't 
you know, I think I think he came up really well there actually at the, the end of that year. But then 2019, it just hasn't really been there, and the injuries have been a bit of a thing too. But um, yeah, kudos to Danny Jansen. We're not talking about Kevin Gossman, who's awesome again as well. But uh, no, but yeah, and we we do have. We have time to do that. We do have a caller, Joe, waiting. Before we get to Joe, I do think we got to touch a little bit on the other two big players for, from tonight, and that's Vladdy and that's Gosman. Um, both of those performances were particularly encouraging, um, starting with Vladdy. You know, the, the stretch we've seen him not get extra base hits, it's interesting because at the end of the day, you knew he was going to come around. Like, you couldn't possibly have seen what Vladdy did in 2021 and understood his backstory and his talent and believed that he was suddenly broken, that he was no longer capable of hitting major league pitching I at mean, the same there are time. I who felt that way, but uh, maybe yeah, well, I mean, those people aren't the people who listen to this podcast. We have a very, you know, intelligent listenership who understand the game of baseball and would not be sucked into that kind of uh, ridiculous thinking at the same time. <laughs> You know, you do want to see, you know, there's a seeing is believing. So to see him absolutely destroy a pitch like that, you know, a 438 foot home run, you know, not just a wall scraper, not just a double for him to drive the ball with authority like that was comforting to see because at a certain point you worry about a slump like that becoming prolonged and the effect it's having on him. Like, you know, it's going to come around, you know, he's going to be okay ultimately, but it just gets, becomes a heavier and heavier burden on your shoulders when you continue to struggle. And, you know, he's a guy who expects the world of himself for good reason. And the team needs him. You know, the team's not scoring enough runs. He's the guy who's the best at making runs come across in one way or another. And it just felt like it was building and building and building. And I wouldn't be shocked. I'm not saying this is a guarantee, but I wouldn't be shocked if he was absolutely fine, like for the next week. And he was just a hundred percent Vladdy the way he's been and that nothing that he had done previously had kind of messed him up over the long term or destroyed his mechanics or anything. And that all he really needed was something like this to happen again. Baseball doesn't carry momentum the way some other sports do. You face a different pitcher every day. It's hard to guarantee that, but I'm just saying I wouldn't be surprised because when it gets to be a streak that's so long, um, sometimes all it takes is kind of getting through that mental barrier. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me either. I mean, obviously, you know, we could we could be eating these words when we're back on on Sunday, which is when we're going to be back again. But yeah, uh, I hope so. I, I and I don't I don't think that you're wrong that it is entirely possible that he that it does you know he does come around because he we have seen and this is something I talked with Ben last week about it like. Uh, uh, we've seen it before, right? It's different than the earlier slumps and, and you know the troubles hitting the ball on the carpet in 2020 because we hadn't seen 2021. We hadn't seen him go from be, you know having these problems and then figuring out how to not have these problems. We know he's capable of doing that. He knows he's capable of doing that. He knows he's capable of of destroying big league pitching. We know that as well. Uh, and it's you know in the dark moments, it's easy to sometimes get carried away and be like, you know, somebody was tweeting at me today, like, oh, it looks like 2021 was the anomaly, and it's like, well, no, because he was like the the greatest hitter of his of his generation as a minor leaguer, uh, and of course, you know, there's uh, there's all the reason to believe in that talent, and it's been a tough three weeks or four weeks or whatever whatever you want to call it, whatever it is exactly has been. So it, it has it has been a bit prolonged as it as it already you know as it already is. Um, but yeah, uh, that's what he needs to do right there. What he did, like it was, uh, 
uh, that's vintage Vladdy, and I think that yeah, it would be uh, it would behoove him to to <laughs> to continue to do this. And it also was just nice when more guys than just one are clicking, and that's I think maybe part of it too. When you talk about the mental part of it, and that's you know it's so tough to get into anybody's head, but you know uh, when there there's a little more pressure on you, and if that's you know if that's something that is making it difficult for. Uh, for guys to really relax at the plate and, and, and slow the game down, as Ross Atkins might say, and all that stuff. Uh, if there's one thing that might do it is the fact that like nobody else around them is doing it, is doing it right. And it's like so it was sort of a whole team wide slump, even though you know we saw Bo kind of break out a bit and we saw Kirk get better. Um, you know, it just it, it nothing has been enough yet, and this the dam bursting, the dam breaking here, as you say. Um, Hopefully leads to better things because they're certainly capable of it. They got they got a tough assignment in Anaheim this week uh, this weekend coming up. But uh, uh, you feel good. You feel good. I mean, with, uh, next up is Otani, I think, right? Or is, is he, he's he's one of the three games. And so uh, you know, it doesn't exactly get easier, even though the schedule is getting easier. Uh, there's a lot of good pitchers in the big leagues. Yeah, I think you've got a Ryu-Otani uh, matchup coming up, which is probably not something the Blue Jays want to see. Uh, <laughs> you know, but you, you use Kevin Gosman in this series, and then you, you get Ryu the next time around. I thought Gosman was fantastic tonight. And yeah. his it's funny to say his numbers might not reflect that. I mean, they do reflect that. It was six innings uh, of shutout baseball, so that's pretty damn good. But... I also think that, you know, he had such good swing and miss stuff all night long. Like, it wouldn't have shocked me if you had asked me in the first inning how many strikeouts is he going to put up tonight. I probably would have said, you know, nine or ten um, just because the splitter was fading so well. It was it was a bit of a relief to see from him because in that start against Seattle, the pitch just didn't look very dynamic. Like, guys weren't having a hard time laying off of it. And that's really Gosman's game, right? His game is making you chase pitches outside the strike zone. So when that's not happening, uh, things unravel for him. And it's not like his start against the Mariners was a disaster, but he becomes a pretty ordinary pitcher when he's forced to work back into the zone. He's got a pretty good fastball, but it's not an elite fastball. Um, Guys make pretty good contact on it because he basically just pounds it into the zone to make sure he gets ahead of hitters, and then he can get them to chase. Against the Mariners, he wasn't able to get them to chase. It was clear early in this game that the deception was there, that guys were were flailing and reaching at it. And, you know, I think that he could have had some breaks, you know, later in the game. And, you know, the, the Cardinals are a tough lineup, too, for the way they work pitchers and they foul off pitchers and stuff. They deserve some credit, too. But his stuff looked fantastic to me tonight. And I think there's a, there's a universe against maybe a different lineup or with a couple of different breaks or umpiring calls where he gets – through you know seven plus innings tonight and has an even better outing. Yeah, I think that's right. And you're right. The the, the Mariners start was was a little bit off for him, even though like the results ended up being uh, pretty decent. Um, but yeah, I mean, just uh, you you tweeted out the the whiffs, the, you know, the chart that's on Baseball Savant of of like which pitchers had the most whiffs, and I think it was 23 for him uh, tonight, which is a which is a good total, and certainly more than he had against the Mariners, which I think was in the the lower teens, or, or I don't think it was less than that. But it was seven. Was it the- seven? That yeah, was, wow. not okay. great. Not not what you want. So it's nice to see a bounce back from him for sure. Absolutely, and uh, you know, uh, lots of lots of great pitchers around, especially this year with the stupid dead ball. But uh, he's a, you know, he's one of several in the Cy Young conversation already in the American League, and uh, one can only hope that it continues. 
All right. How about we uh, turn it over to Joe here and take a presumably enthusiastic caller, which is something that we've been lacking in recent episodes. <laughs> Absolutely. Joe, thanks for joining us. Uh, hey, I, I just called in to say, you know, it's so 2022 Blue Jays to follow up the worst loss of the year with an <laughs> actual feel-good win. It really is. Yeah. Um, well, we don't need to talk um, about that worst loss of the year, but uh, that was that was real ugly. Well, you're in luck because I have questions about uh, the worst loss of the year. Okay, okay. You know, Perfect. <laughs> we don't need to talk about the fact that Paul Goldschmidt has a 1665 OPS this year against left-handed pitching. We don't need to talk about that. But the thing I did want to talk about is just the thing Montoyo said about not bringing in your closer on the road. I just wanted to know what you guys felt about that. Yeah, I mean, that's a tough one. Uh, you know, Ben Nicholson-Smith, a f- friend of the show, uh, get, a recent guest, wrote a piece uh, that came out kind of this evening that I don't know if it was them kind of walking back those comments, but was expressing that there there's more openness to doing that than maybe Montoyo's comments suggest. And I do think that there's something to be said for the fact that, you know, a manager gets questions and, you know, some of them are kind of deeper strategic questions. And, you know, a lot of times they're speaking off the cuff. And I don't know if Montoyo, if you kind of like sat down in a different environment and said, like, what's your philosophy on this? If you would have, uh, you know, said something a little bit more nuanced. But I do understand why that took off, because when you are on the road, you absolutely shouldn't be left with that you know you shouldn't have that ammo and not use it like this is the best pitcher you have the blue jays bullpen is a little bit depleted right now uh there aren't that many guys that have been able to count on especially with swing and miss stuff and that's important in extra innings the way the way format works so uh yeah i I think if you're a blue jays fan you're pretty disappointed to hear him say that because what you want is for your manager to be as open-minded as humanly possible about the ways to use their best pitchers and, you know, the more rigidity you see and Blue Jays fans saw what happened with Buck Showalter in that wildcard game and, you know, laughed at the Orioles and him for years and will for years into the future. So yeah, that's not what you want to see your own manager do. No, because it's stupid. Because it's, yeah, it's, and we've known this for a long time and it's, it's very frustrating to watch them do that. I, I, you know, I have a lot of time for Charlie. I know a lot of people, you know, are, uh, are not as fond of Charlie and sort of find ways to uh, feel better about John Schneider and, and Pete Walker. But yeah, Charlie, the kind of uh, takes their ire a bit, which I, you know, I see, I see what's going on there with some people. Cause I think, you know, although ultimately the decisions rest with Charlie, uh, you know, they are, they are very, very adamant about the collaborative nature of how decisions get made around there. Uh, but yeah, it, it's, that's real dumb. Like to lose with your best pitcher sitting in the bullpen is, uh, is ridiculous. And the way that what he'd said also, you know, it just didn't make sense, right? Because they didn't do what he said that they did, which is, you know, and I think Nick, you're right that, you know, the off the cuff thing, uh, maybe not a strength of Charlie at times. And, uh, and I, I, I have sympathy for that position. Uh, though that's, you know, that's part of the job and part of the job is to, you know, not just be the, the chairman of vibes in the, in the dugout and, and make sure everybody's happy, which, you know, Charlie seems to do a very good job of. He seems to have, you know, him and Pete and Schneider and everybody else has done, I think, a very good job managing through one run games. I think that's something that uh, the Dallas team tweeted about, uh, earlier here today on, uh, on Tuesday, but you know, they, they, they get some leeway, I think, but, uh, 
But yeah, that's dumb. You don't you don't do that. And I, you know, I, I, I was willing to give a break in the ninth inning because you know, even though I didn't like Merriweather coming in, because uh, I think Romano is a, a guy who you know, when you have that fake runner on second, you need a strikeout. You know, that is a strikeout is so valuable there when you you know when you're in you know placed in that situation to start hitting that that okay maybe saving your best strikeout pitcher for that potential situation. I can I, I can I can get on board with that. I don't really love it, but I can get on board with that. But then to not even use him then, and then to save him for the save that never happens is uh, is something that uh, that shouldn't happen. That the and that and this is what I wrote in my you know my piece on the thing that I, that came out uh, this afternoon was that you know Charlie has said about the shifting. He's like you know uh, it, it, he was very adamant and very clear in the shift quote that I used. You know that he you know. It's his team. It's his, he's you know he he's only doing it, and who knows how true this is. But he says we're doing it because I believe we're you know I believe in it. They've convinced me. They've used the data. They've told. They've showed me why it's smart to do. I believe why they're saying it's smart to do, and that's why we're doing it. It's not because I'm doing what I'm told. It's because you know I believe in it. And I you know and he comes from an era where managers I think would would uh, you know and this is I pointed to a, a beyond the box score piece that that was talking about you know Dusty Baker back in, in 2013 and Don Mattingly and Jim Leland and how you know the managing to the save was very 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 common and uh, and and you know he kind of comes from that generation but also he, he managed the raise system like you know unorthodox stuff shouldn't be difficult for him and I don't know if it's just a matter of this hasn't come up in a while and it needs to be readdressed but uh but this needs to be readdressed. Like that should not be yeah. happening. You don't manage to statistics in any other sport. Like yeah. you don't see a basketball coach saying, "Oh, we're going to throw this guy in because I'd love to make sure he gets five three pointers tonight." Like <laughs> it, it doesn't make sense. And the, you know the, the save is so arbitrary. Like it covers all manners of sins. Like there's such a difference between a one run ball game in the bottom of the ninth. And a three-run ball game in the bottom of the ninth, which is really not a dangerous situation, and you can use the majority of your pitchers in that situation. Like if you truly believe your pitcher is likely to give up three runs in a single inning, he should not be on your roster. So, and and I know that there's something to be said for higher leverage moments, and you know maybe younger pitchers in particular, you know, sheltering them from that, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I don't want to totally diminish the psychological aspect of that. But the reality is that a save in and of itself doesn't have inherent value. And the more we believe that it does, the more likely we are to make these type of mistakes. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, Joe, you got anything else for us? No, I've I've never heard of this so-called three-run lead. What is that? <laughs> uh, excellent, excellent, excellent question. Uh, thanks so much, Joe. We got another caller. We Thank got Office Rob on the line. Let's... Uh, Let's go. Let's go down under. Rob, how are you? Man? Hey guys. Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Doing great. Uh, nice to be how talking to people after a win. Yeah, finally. Um, <laughs> hey Nick, I, I hope you've recovered from COVID, but you might still be suffering symptoms because I did uh, detect some positivity in your comments <laughs> previously. <laughs> um, I was gonna. Yeah, I guess. I, I, I guess Sorry, my question. Ahead. I mean, it was great. It was great to see this game. You know, it was it was fun finally and. Who knows whether we're going to take off or go back to being putrid. But my question to you guys is, you know, none of us are players, but you always hear about hitting is contagious and blah, blah. They seem to be relying on, well, when these guys start, you know, getting that. Is that real? Is Do you think hitting is contagious within a team? 
<laughs> I mean, we're about to find out, I guess. We'll see if the, <laughs> if the momentum continues and all those well-worn cliches. To, but, uh, to me, I can't see that it's possible. I mean, it's still an individual batter against an individual pitcher. Um, I can't see how that works. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if you're thinking about it scientifically, there's no reason to believe that it makes sense. The only thing that I would say to counter it, and, you know, I'm not the one who's going to be arguing the other side of rational thought too often, but, you know, we got content to make here, so I'll give it a swing. Um, You know, we talked earlier a little bit about, you know, Vladdy pressing potentially. Um, and there's there's evidence in the data there, you know, in terms of his the amount that he's chasing on pitches outside the strike zone, and that's increased in when situations with runners in scoring position. So I don't think that it's necessary. Like everyone is going to suddenly hit better if other guys in the lineup are hitting, but it might prevent them from hitting worse. If that makes sense, it might prevent them from pressing a little bit. It might make them feel more relaxed. You know, this team is kind of famous for the liveliness of its dugout. We haven't seen that as much in recent games. Does that make you good at hitting a slider? It's really hard to say. But if people you know, feel more positive about their workplace and feel more confident in most, you know, most working situations in the entire world, that would theoretically make them perform better. If they run into a pitcher who just owns them, I don't think that you know, the vibes will protect them from that happening. But I think that I don't know if you think of it as being contagious. I don't know if that's the way, right way to frame it. But there's probably something to the idea of if there's general positivity around the ball club and the positivity is coming from success, that could beget more success because um, people are less tense when they show up to work. But I don't expect a massive effect. I don't think the Blue Jays are suddenly going to be hitting eight runs a game from here on out, although that would be undoubtedly more entertaining. It certainly would. I, I mean, yeah, I, you know, if you did a scientific study of it, and uh, I, I don't know that the results would come out and say that there's anything to it. But, the, and, and, you know, but you could point to anecdotal stuff. You could point to, like, when they came back to Toronto last year. Uh, how everything just swelled and everything, you know, all the hitters seemed to, to, to get on the same page and get productive at the same time. Uh, they dipped right after that in the, the, you know, the uh, uh, mid-August to early September, they really struggled. Uh, 2015 was another time like that, but those are two, you know, there's a, there's a lot of time in between where you know, we, we have less reliable thoughts on, uh, on whether hitting is contagious. And I, I you know, uh, I think Nick, Nick you're, you're gets to the point, and this is something what Ben was kind of talking about last week as well. Was like, uh, I, like it, it does. I think it does matter what the what those guys think, what the guys in the lineup on the team think, right? And and uh, and we talked about this with Ben about like confidence level, and and you know, were they succumbing to to the hype? Uh, and did the did all the expectations sort of is that making it worse? And and his point was. Well, it wasn't like it's not like everybody else being disappointed with them. It's that they're disappointed with themselves because they are, you know, the that that sort of has compounded a bit. And I think that those things can compound on guys, like like we're saying. And, and I think that perhaps it, it, I wouldn't rule out the possibility that it could work the other way and that it could be contagious uh, in, in the way we kind of think about it. Um, but we'll find out, I guess. We'll find out if this really means anything. It could be a blip. Uh, you certainly hope not. You certainly think that, that there's enough talent here that they can uh, take some positives from this game, feel good, feel be- like they're seeing the ball better, you know, and you hear that kind of stuff too, which is, I don't think, untrue. I mean, you, you talk to anybody who's played, uh, especially at the, you know, at high levels, at big, the big league level, and, and 
you know, I, sometimes they don't understand, you know, what their what their talent is and what they're doing. But but you know, there's there's a lot of guys. It's not just Pat Tabler who's like, well, sometimes it'll look like it's a it's a, a BB gun uh, firing at you, and sometimes it'll look like a beach ball, and it's. You know, there there could be a lot of factors that go into that, and how you're feeling, and how your you know mechanics are, and your timing, and your your vision, and everything else. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. It's, we'll see. I'm just happy to be talking about stuff like that, and like how long the good times can last, uh, as opposed to uh, uh, what <laughs> what ways will they find it, figure out to crush us uh, next. I mean, this podcast could end up being a very funny, abnormal moment in time, right? Like we're presenting it as this is potentially a breakthrough for the team. This is a huge win. You know, they've evened a series. They haven't lost any of the last three series. They finally scored some runs for the first time in a number of games. And yeah, when we talk to you guys again on Sunday, it's possible they've scored, you know, two runs, two runs, one run. And nothing feels different in the slightest. So this could be this little time capsule. And yeah, I'd be lying if I told you, if I told you I knew which way it was going to go. But yeah, (laughs) I I do think there's something to it potentially. Like think about Vladdy. You know, Vladdy is notorious (laughs) for being a guy who has a lot of fun when he plays baseball. I bet you he's having less fun lately. And I bet you tonight has made him have more fun. What is the relationship between fun and his performance? Very difficult mm. to pin down, but you can definitely talk yourself into a scenario where uh, the weight has come off his shoulders and he's able to engage with the game in that joyful way that he's so known for. And and the Blue Jays themselves, I mean, they are, you know, staking their jobs on this kind of stuff too, right? Like that's part of the culture stuff that they are trying to build is to is to have these vibes and to have, you know, this kind of environment where it's not, you know... Uh, a drill sergeant getting mad at every at, at every you know failure and and where the the, the team is uh, is pulling in the same direction and is is positive about each other and, and keep it like they you know Ross Atkins I'm sure has a shelf full of books that tells you that are, that are saying that's you know that's the way to breed success and so they like they they really do believe this stuff you know so I don't know if it matters whether we believe it or not or or whether it exists or not, but that's certainly, I think, the way that they're going to be uh, continuing to move forward. If there's one statement in this podcast that's accurate that anyone said, it's that Ross Atkins has a shelf full of books. That's no doubt. I guarantee that. (laughs) Shapiro, too? Don't, don't. I mean, it's somewhere about it. Hey, can Uh, I just uh, make another comment, if that's all right? Yeah. So let's say today's game, we lost 2-1. And it was just the same as usual. And you wrote a great piece today, Andrew. I really enjoyed that. But, you know, let's say they, they keep being woeful offensively-wise for the next month or, or six weeks. What do they do? I mean, what does the team do to try and deal with that? Do they have to think of trades? I mean, they can't go on indefinitely, and hopefully it won't. But, but if the offense remains as poor as it's been, something's got to happen. Yeah, I, I, I mean, ultimately, I mean, like this, is the, the cliche and whatever we all, what we say every year is that you know this is just not really the time when trades happen. So that would have been tough. I wrote a bit, like you say, thank you for the yeah. time about the piece about, about you know what they can do, what what's in Buffalo that they could look to, which frankly isn't a ton, especially because there are some complicating factors. And I was, you know, shipping Bradley Zimmer out of town and bringing up Kevin Biggio as though that's going to be the solution, which after you know 
years of being like, I'm not sure that this Bishio guy really has the, the underlying skills to be successful. It's like, I don't know. That lineup could, could use more of him and less of Tapia at this point. Um, but yeah, I don't know that there is a lot that they could do, right? I think it's just uh, uh, what they would probably tell you is it's a matter of grinding and it's a matter of, you know, they, you know, go in and, and they're watching the videos. They're, they're, you know, working in the cage. They're not like just showing up at the ballpark and be like, Oh, we suck again. Like there, there are things they work on and there's game planning and there's strategy and like looking at how they're being pitched and responding to how, you know, the trends that they're picking up and, and the way they're being pitched in the way that other pitchers are, are attacking similar hitters or the way that other, you know, their opponents opposing pitchers are, are, uh, uh, you know, how they, you know, go about their business uh, and each of their starts. So there's, there, there's lots of, you know, information and data out there for them to pick up on and try to use to their advantage and yeah it's kind of the fr- it's a frustrating answer because everybody wants everything to change you know for the better yeah. immediately when this when this kind of stuff happens but i think it's just it, it, you know baseball is not necessarily a game that uh the the, the you can't be impatient sometimes and i think it would have you know if it goes back to the way that it was for the last few weeks, you know, I think that's probably going to unfortunately be the answer is just, you just got to grind your way through it and it'll get better. Uh, They're kind I, of even the talent. So, and that's what they probably need. I was going to say, they're kind of a victim of the quality of the talent on the roster because they're just guys that you will not give up on and you have to keep yeah. giving them at bats and you have to keep giving them prominent bats. And they are doing a little bit of lineup shuffling, like seeing what Santiago Espinal has, you know, moved up to the second spot. You know, in my opinion, that's kind of ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that's going to be the difference between wins and losses for them, but that's definitely not a move I personally would make. That's the kind of thing they're doing, shuffling the lineup. You know, they can look to Buffalo. They could potentially take a shot at, you know, Samad Taylor or someone like that who is doing well there and see if he can give them some at bats. But, Really, you know, that's all small potato stuff. You know, the team is going to score runs or not based on how Springer, Bichette, Guerrero, and Teoscar Hernandez do. And as long as those guys are healthy, you're going to keep running them out. And that is, yeah, that can be really frustrating. If it's a team that you're rooting for and it seems like nothing's changing and they continue to have poor results. But the reality is that, yeah, these guys are too good to give up on. And I think they'll probably justify that thought for the rest of the season. And watching a team failing to hit is, you know, it's a pretty frustrating viewing experience because it's not, you know, when a team is pitching poorly, at least something is happening in a sense. And and even if they're, you know, if they're pitching poorly, but hitting well, you can always watch the game and think, oh, well, maybe they're down three nothing now, but this team could get back in the game. Whereas if the team you're watching is continually slumping on offense. You know, not only is there not a lot of action to watch from a viewing perspective, but also when things go poorly for them in a game and suddenly they're down 4-1 in the third, you're already kind of mentally checking out and giving up on the game. And that's not where you want to be. And that's, I don't think that's what the Blue Jays are. Uh, you know, as much evidence as there is to the contrary this season. Um, but it's definitely what they've kind of forced their fans to experience thus far. And again, we'll see whether this is a time capsule to uh, a moment that meant absolutely nothing or whether it is a bit of a turning point. Yeah, and, and I think I mean, you make a good point and something that I, I don't think I did put in the piece that I wrote today, but but uh, uh, but could have, which is where I was looking through, you know, the options to come up from Buffalo. Samad Taylor kind of cooled off in May, it turns out. Um, but... Uh, uh, 
there, you know, like, like you say, there's just, you know, you, you're not getting, you know, you're not taking plate appearances away from George Springer. You're not taking them away from Vlad or Bo or Gur- well, Curiel, maybe, uh, but Teoscar, Espinal, you know, they're, they're just, it's really, they're limited in their choices of how to like really realistically shake this lineup up. Like, you know, like, like Tapia and Zimmer, not necessarily been the problem. Like they've not been good. Uh, you know, Zimmer, the last couple of games, notwithstanding, uh, I think he's like a 28 weight runs career plus like, uh, not good, but, but not, you know, not dragging this team down. It's really been the lack of performance from Vlad and from, you know, Bo in April and, and Tay Oscar has been a mess since he came back from the IL and Gurriel hasn't been good. Uh, it's really those guys. And those are guys. Yeah. You're not, they're not getting optioned. I don't even, I think they could probably refuse uh, except for Vlad probably refuse options. I'm not sure what their status exactly is, but, uh, and they're not getting benched. Like those are guys who are just going to have to figure it out uh, unless it gets really, really dire, unless it gets to like a Biggio situation, which uh, uh, I wouldn't rule that out either necessarily. But I, I think that we're still a long way off, even with as bad as, as Teoscar and, and Gurriel have been. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd rule it out. I, I, <laughs> I can't imagine sending Teoscar down at this point when he's been sort of a top 15, top 20 hitter for multiple seasons now. You know, they sent down Biggio because he literally at that moment looked like he was unable to compete with major league pitching and he was just kind of consistently getting blown away. And even as bad as Teoscar has been, you know, he still hit a home run there since he came back. Like he hasn't been at that level where you kind of question his functionality at that level. And I think it would take a lot to get there. With I know even yeah even Guriel who's been an above average hitter for so long and we've seen him run so cold and so hot again I mean if he were to get going at some point that would make a huge difference for this team you know the same way you feel about Jansen when Jansen is hitting it's like wow if Jansen is hitting and we've got all these other guys then we're really in good shape and Guriel is one of those guys as well yeah absolutely uh, you got anything else for us Rob no I'm good thanks for that um, I think you're right you know improvement's going to have to come with what we've got. Yeah, uh, fortunately they got the talent to do it, but uh, it would be really nice to see more nights like this one. Uh, thanks, thank you so much, man. We also we got a question in the in the chat, uh, or less a <laughs> less a question and more a comment. But it's from Andrew, and he says, uh, "Hopefully this continues. Only to shut up the Twitter doom shit posters." Uh, I enjoy the show. Uh, good work. Uh, thank you for the kind words. And uh, you know, I try I try real hard, you know, these days not to. Not to you know poke at the the Twitter. It's not a straw man because there's people out there. The doom shit posters. I know exactly what you mean, and you know it's not always the same people. But uh, but but you know that there a lot of people think that just saying the most negative thing you could possibly say is a personality. Nick, not you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say we're gonna wade into dangerous territory here. Uh, I I've always felt like I was constructive in my negativity, and yeah. there's. People out there who are just, I can't think of a better word for it than tedious. Like, it's just the same shit every day. And I don't know, people think they're clever or funny or whatever it is for just, yeah, just ramming repetitive negativity down people's throats. And I say, if you're going to be negative, you know, bring some stats, bring some pictures, you know, do something with some entertainment value. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, don't want to get bogged down in talking about those folks. 
uh, hey, be be whatever kind of fan you want to be, but you know, I might just you know say, uh, I think your your dumb opinions are dumb and can fuck off. But uh, but I try not to do that as much as I used to. I used to really make you know get a kick out of it, and I don't as much anymore. I'd rather try to uh, you know I'm not going to say maintain a higher discourse because that's certainly not true, but uh, uh, but just not engage with that stuff because it's it is tedious. I'm more of a mute button guy myself. Uh, I've got an astounding list in terms of quantity from a mute perspective. Maybe not an astounding list of humans on my mute list, but <laughs> many, 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 many people are on it. Um, before we wrap up here, we're just uh, <laughs> we're pretty close. You know, we're coming up on midnight for those of us in the Eastern time zone. One thing I did want to touch on before we go, because we're about to see Ryu Stoughton. You know, we got a real Ryu start for the first time in a long time uh, in his last outing, and he looked pretty damn good against the Rays as well. Um, where's the hope meter? I mean, I guess, again, this is this, this podcast, a time capsule, so we'll see what happens against the Angels. They've got a lot of good hitters right now. But where's the, the hope level on that before we wrap? Yeah, I forget where – because we talked about this while he was still on the IL, and I forget where we – where where we put it, where I put it, uh, but it's higher now than where it was then. It was you know it's been a couple encouraging starts. Um, you know you like to you like to see the curveball working, and I think we definitely um, a lot of the the pessimism I think was colored by that last start with where you know right before he went on the IL with the forearm issue, and uh, and I think that that like that wasn't that wasn't just left arm shittiness, right? I think that there like genuinely was if you look at you know, where, you know, where the pitches were going, like how, you know, how he was commanding and what, you know, they, they were not as, uh, they were not as well placed as you'd like to be in addition to the, the velocity being down. And, and, you know, those are kind of like pretty strong signs that, yeah, there really was something up with his forearm and, and, uh, you know, and that's just sort of the thing that's going to be a Ryu thing for as long as, uh, he's around, which will be, you know, at least another year after this one. And, uh, I, I, I don't, I feel right now that we don't have to worry about, you know, uh, do they have a better starter in Ross Stripling, you know, in the bullpen that they're wasting right now? Because, uh, you know, he's come back and he's been really solid. And, and uh, um, you know, I, he's a number five starter now, which uh, which is probably more appropriate. You know, it's probably we've sort of recalibrated expectations, which maybe, maybe not, I'm not saying it's good, but, uh, but you know, you feel a little bit better about a five and dive from a guy who is uh, – who's your number five starter than you do when it's like, Oh boy, this is our most expensive ace pitcher. So, uh, so in that sense, you know, I think he can give them some productive innings and I think that they'll be careful about him seeing the lineup the third time. And, uh, you know, if he, if, if they, if his pitches are crisp and he can locate them well, then he should still be able to continue to have success. It's just, that's, you know, the health of his arm is probably going to dictate that a lot. Yeah, I, I think early in the season, um, you were really in the dread zone with him. Like yeah. When he pitched, you assumed something bad was going to happen. I don't think we're at a point where you can assume something good is going to happen, but maybe <laughs> we're settling into kind of a middle zone, a gray zone of mystery. I, you know, the 2020 version of him, it's very hard to envision that pitcher coming back. Uh, he's still, you know, he throws about the same level of velocity. We've talked about this before, probably with more effort, and that probably affects his command. Mm-hmm. I, I, he just doesn't miss bats like he did that season or even, you know, some of his better seasons in L.A. He doesn't have to strike out a ton of guys to be effective. He's had good season with K per nines in the kind of seven range. 
Um, but, you know, right now he's got, you know, 5.5 per nine. Again, he's got only 18 innings. But last year he also struggled to miss bats as well. I don't think the changeup is just quite what it was. You know, he's 35. He, the chances are you're not going to be quite what you were when you're 35. Not everyone is Justin Verlander. But I think that, you know, there are plenty of Blue Jays things to panic about right now, maybe on the, not on this night in particular. And he's moved out of the area of things to panic about, which has to be considered a pretty positive um, development considering what we saw at the end of 2021 and then in his first two starts of this season. Yeah, I think that's well put. It's uh, yeah, uh, not not panicking just yet. I mean, one one start will send everybody back into panic if it goes, you know, the way that it could. But I'd uh, say advise for two two really bad starts before we go back to panic. I'd I, accept one one bad start. I would still be okay with. But it's still kind of it's still kind of day to day or week to week whether we panic about him or not. But uh, this is a good week for him, so uh, kudos and and hopefully he keeps it up. Yeah, and you know, you say Kikuchi kind of showed that you can move out of that wait and see zone with not, you know, it doesn't take too many uh, decent outings, and maybe reuse strings together another two, and then we feel you know even better about him. Absolutely, we are past midnight now, so I think that we should leave it there. I mean, not for uh, our buddy out in Oz, but for many of our listeners, are past midnight. So we appreciate you guys joining us. Thanks again for tuning into Blue Jays Happy Hour. Uh, I'm personally happy to be back. I'm sure the Blue Jays are happy to be back in the win column. And we appreciate you guys tuning in, whether it's live or whether you're coming uh, a little bit later. And all, you know, ratings, subscriptions, all that nonsense is always much appreciated. Uh, And we will see you again on Sunday. All right. Thank you, everybody.